Good morning. How are you doing today? Everybody blessed? Would you stand with me one more time, please? We want to just say thank you for coming today. If it's your first time, we know that there are a lot of great churches in West Memphis, Marion. Thank you for blessing us today with your presence. We're just thrilled to have you. I want you to make yourselves at home. Uh, all of our regular folks, you know how we do this. We're going to turn and find a screen. And if we can look at today the series text from this, this series message of, of messages from the gospel of Mark. We're looking at Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Let's read out loud together. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Jesus, we are so grateful. We are amazed. We're overwhelmed. Thank you for the gift of your presence this morning. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of your blood shed and your body broken for us 2,000 years ago. Thank you that it was not just a sacrifice that was made in your death, but it was a sacrifice that was received when you got up out of the ground, resurrected in eternal life, in resurrection life. Jesus, we honor you in this place today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and cleanse us, O oh God, in our hearts. Open our eyes and our ears to hear and understand. Holy Spirit, take over and do what only you can do in this place. Let the meditation of my heart, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I'll be careful, O oh God, to give you all the praise because I know for a fact that I can't do anything apart from you. Jesus, do what you can do in this place, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. you may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. The title of the message today is called Faith or Offense. It's your choice. Um, you, you may wonder what, why the provocative use of a title like that, Faith or Offense, I think both of those take the same kind of energy. One is believing in the goodness of God's promise. The other one is believing in something that has caused us to stumble. And there is energy that comes from believing in both of those, a positive energy and trusting God and His goodness. There's a negative energy that comes and starts to build in us when we believe in the thing that has caused us to be offended or to stumble. And you're going to see from the passage, this is a challenging passage of Scripture I had really intended to go through about verse 37 today because both of these are tied very much together. We're going to do sort of a really quick mini-series inside the series today and next Sunday. This is going to be faith or offense, it's your choice number one. And next Sunday will be faith or offense, it's your choice number two. Because this first little section today that I'm only going to devote just a few verses to deals with something Jesus said that definitely could have offended the woman. And every one of us have probably encountered circumstances like that in our lives. The second one next Sunday that we'll look at deals with how Jesus answered the prayer. How many of you know sometimes uh, it, if it doesn't come the way we expect it to, there's an opportunity for us to get offended. And so we'll be looking at that next Sunday. But the beautiful thing about going through an expositional series like this is you just take it a section at a time. We're looking at Mark it is the eyewitness account of Peter, the apostle, as told to his disciple, John Mark. We're, we're showing a continuous distinction between religion that offers advice of what to do and the gospel that is good news about what Jesus has already done. A little bit of reiteration, repetition, that's a good thing. The apostle Peter says, it's good for me to stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. So I'm stirring up your pure mind. What is your pure mind? That's the mind of Christ that's resident inside you. If the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2.5, you have to allow, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, so today as we look at this, I want to look at the passage of Scripture from Mark chapter 7, uh, and it's uh, a passage that deals with Jesus leaving 
the Holy Land, okay, the land of Palestine, the land which is the home of the covenant people of God. He, he, he goes one time outside of the boundaries. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But if you would just look here, you don't have to read out loud, but just read along with me. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. Everybody say first. First, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Father, add your blessing today to the reading of your amazing holy Word And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, just a little bit of history here that I want to share with you. This is an extremely challenging passage. Um, There is potential for offense in this. Jesus seems to be almost out of character. What's what's up? Is he just like really tired and, and saying things that are so uncharacteristic of himself? I mean, after all, isn't he the Savior of the world? First John says, especially of them that believe. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that's whoever. It's regardless of red, yellow, black, white. They are all precious in His sight as we learned to sing when we were growing up. But yet that doesn't seem to be the way Jesus is acting in this moment. And I want to tell you before you jump to a conclusion here, there are a lot of different ways this can be taught. And I, I have studied far and wide and deep this week looking at this and I've wrestled through it uh, in my own read-through plan this, this, this week out of version on my uh, iPad, my smartphone. Uh, I, I'm linked up to read through a, a, a particular plan called Eat This Book. And it has three chapters that are just chronologically moving through the Scripture and a psalm every day. And, and I really thought it was interesting that I, I just by coincidence, although I don't think there is such a thing in the kingdom of God, that I happened to land on the Matthew version of this on Friday before I'm going to preach on this today. So I'm going through Mark, but Matthew 15 gives us this same passage, and I'll refer to that in just a moment. But I just want to tell you a little bit about some history. This is a Syrophoenician woman. She is of Syrian Phoenician birth. Now, her ancestors are ancient enemies of the covenant people of God. There have been great conflicts and have been murders that have been committed and heinous crimes against... Israel and the people of God by her ancestors. She is considered to be by any faithful Jew a Gentile, ethnos, Greek word, which is literally viewed by them in kind of a lower status, sort of a second-class citizen, a dog, in other words. And that's even the word that Jesus used in this passage. And I'll be honest with you, I I wrestle with this passage in terms of what really, Jesus, what what are you trying to say? And so this morning, because... 
there, there are a lot of different ways that we could look at this through the mirror of covenantal theology or through dispensationalism, all of these different kinds of things. I do not want to take time to chase any of those rabbits down the trail. I just want to share with you what I believe out of my heart the Spirit of the Lord has shown me. You test it. Be like the faithful Bereans, Acts 17, who search the Scriptures daily and see if these things be so. I, I don't care what degree of authority that any... Uh, minister of the gospel ever tells you something, you are personally responsible to go to the Word and prove it, okay? So that is the challenge that as a faithful man of God, I want to challenge you as well. Look to the Scriptures. Let's see what the Word says. This Syrian Phoenician woman uh, is, is of a lineage that, as I've already said, her ancestors were ancient enemies of the people of God. Let me give you a little quick history lesson. She's, she's from a very important culture that has given us some, some things even in our own society. She's from the Phoenician culture. Uh, this is where we get our word phonics. The Phoenicians had actually centuries ago developed a 22-letter alphabet without any vowels. And that became the foundation for our 26-letter alphabet. So you get phonics and, and you get the ability when you've been taught how not only to read by sight words but how to put a W and an H together and make the sound whew, well, it was the Phoenicians who actually gave us this writing system that we have built ours on. So it's a very developed culture. They're smart. They're sharp people, a warring people that was a challenge many times on the Mediterranean. And so she is a mixture of Syrian and Phoenician, ancient enemy of the people of God, viewed by the Jews as a Gentile dog. Jesus used those very words. I'm not just trying to be pedantic by saying this two or three times. I really want to drill this in this morning so you can grasp just the, 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 the weight of this thing that's being shared. I, I have about seven principles that I want to give you as we jump in. Jesus has just wrapped up a really, really amazing um, you know, time of miracles. He's had uh, the Jesus Christ Evangelistic Incorporated has had some amazing things going on and people are talking about it. He's walked on the water. The disciples have seen it. He's, he's taken little boy's lunch with five loaves and two fish, and he's multiplied it and fed somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people. He lands in Gennesaret. He heals everybody in sight. They're bringing the sick far and wide, reaching out to touch his garments, and everybody who touches him gets healed. And we find that happening. In the opening of chapter 7, we saw what was going on last Sunday with the Pharisees that are there arguing with Jesus over a finer point that doesn't even relate to the commandment of God. It dealt with the tradition of men. We talked about the scary thing that when tradition becomes a bad word because traditions can make the word of God void. It can make the word of God of no effect is what Mark seven thirteen says. Jesus said, you guys have, have literally come to personify what Isaiah said. You worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You're going through the motions and a hypocrite is somebody with, with a show but doesn't have any substance. And you don't want to be that. You, you, you want to understand that the command of, commandment of God has some value to it and you don't replace it with your tradition and then teach your tradition to be the doctrine of God. And that's what they were doing. And so Jesus, I believe in his flesh, is just exasperated. He's emotionally wrung out. And he's told the disciples, he promised them back in, in Mark chapter 6, I want you to come away and let's find a place of rest. And everywhere he goes, people are chasing him down. They're running around the lake as they see him head across. So what's going to take him and, you know, just an hour or two to be able to get across the lake? They're going to take several hours trying to run around from one corner of the Sea of Galilee to be able to meet Jesus when he lands on the other side. And the crowds are thronging him everywhere he goes. 
And so Jesus is doing his best trying to find a little bit of vacay. Probably what a lot of the church is doing today. It's the last sort of hurrah for the summer. It's Labor Day weekend and folks are spending time on the lake. And I just want to say I'm so thankful for, for you guys that are here this morning. You've chosen to stay in town. I hope that this time together today provides you a little bit of a spiritual vacay. That you leave here refreshed and strengthened today even though you didn't get to leave town the way a number of our friends have. Okay? So this morning... Jesus, as we look at this passage, has actually gone outside of the boundaries. He's looking for some much-needed rest for himself and his disciples. And he goes to a place, not in the city of Tyre, but the scripture says he's in the region. So he's sort of out in the rural area, in the country. Not in the city because he doesn't want to be seen. And he enters a house. He doesn't want to be noticed, but guess what happens? Wherever Jesus goes, somebody tells it. And so he's looking, trying to get some cover, trying to get some rest... He's promised the disciples some rest. Number two, if you would go ahead and put that one up. This is the only time in the scripture where we ever see Jesus traveling outside of the covenantal boundaries of the region where the people of God lived. He's traveling outside of Palestine. Why? Why? I ask the question. I do not believe that Jesus ever did anything just by happenstance. I think everything he did was deliberate. It was determined by the sovereign will of God. It was for a demonstration. There were no motions that were wasted, but it was for a purpose. It was to teach the people something that was critical for them to grab hold of. So he's, he's moving outside of the boundaries of the covenant people of God. Let me remind you who the covenant people were supposed to be. God delivered them by the blood and the water and the spirit out of Egypt and told them, according to Exodus chapter 19, Moses stood and prophesied and he said, the Lord has called you to be a whole kingdom of priests, a nation that is set aside to lead among the other nations. They were to be the firstborn among the nations. And it was at that place, literally at Sinai, where the people were terrified by the, the, the July 4th celebration of fireworks and billowing smoke coming out of Sinai. And they, were, they backed up and they said, God, we don't think we can be a whole nation of priests the way you want us to be. You're going to have to set aside a tribe among us to be priestly and that's the moment where Levi was set forward it wasn't God's best God's best his design was that the whole people the whole nation would be a priestly nation among the nations and that they would take up the the commission of serving the peoples of the world so that eventually the the, the word would come to pass that all the earth worships before your throne Literally, Israel was to be a mediator, a, 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 a one who would be a go-between, an intercessor between the God that they knew and the nations that he had created, the nations that were lost, the nations that he loved, the nations that he would eventually send, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, who would die as the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins not only of the covenant people of God, not only just of the Jews, but he would take away the sins of the whole world. So this thing is larger in scope and something happens. It's what happens when religion starts to crystallize in our thinking and tradition starts to override the clearly revealed Word of God. It starts to make that Word of no effect. The promise of God hasn't changed. God's own testimony is, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. Isaiah 55 verse 11. But something's happened in the people of God. 
Years have become decades that have become centuries that have been turning from the Lord and away from Him. And there would be a season of revival and some would come back and there would be another deluge of sin and idolatry and whoring after other gods. And those that were faithful had begun to get the idea about themselves that they were a superior class of people above all the other nations of the world. And all of these others were just merely dogs. I believe that when we look at this that we're seeing Jesus demonstrate to folks something that is existing before the crucifixion. Number three, I want you to see this point with me. His pre-crucifixion ministry was first to the lost sheep of Israel. The Bible tells us that. In this very same passage where this story is told in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, Jesus actually says this. He says, you know what? I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel and I must first minister to them. Now, Matthew like all the other Gospels, Mark is sort of just written in kind of a real quick-paced movie script. And sometimes some details are left out, and that's on, on purpose because Mark was writing to a different audience of people. He was writing to the Romans, and he was there to get their attention and show them the power, the action that Jesus displayed. And so when you read Matthew, you pick up several details that are not included in the Gospel of Mark. That doesn't mean that these Gospels are contradictory any more so than if every one of us walked out here and saw an accident happen on the service road and we came away, some folks would see details to a greater degree and would literally describe the, the accident to, down to a great degree of detail. Somebody would just say, well, one car pulled out and the other was front of them and the other one T-boned that one. That'd be all they'd say. Are, are those contradictory accounts? Absolutely not. It's just that others are more observant. They see things to a greater degree of detail. And Matthew gives us a level of detail that goes beyond what Mark has shared. Literally, Jesus has set himself up and the disciples in a house and he's trying to get them some rest away from the people because people can deplete. They can, they, they, they can plug into your power strip like this one right up here. And sometimes I feel like every space on me has something plugged in and people are drawing and sometimes I have to try to get away and go, God, I need some refreshing from you. i got to make sure that I keep myself plugged into the power source because my family needs me. The, the, the church needs me. I need to be who you've called me to be and to be an encouragement to others and to follow through and be faithful and to be an example and to be a godly leader. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Sometimes the pressure that can wear you slap out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just, just following through, just living life. And so I believe Jesus is at this point, and so are the disciples. And Matthew tells us that she hears that Jesus is in the house, and she comes up outside, and she's literally hollering, Son of David! The covenantal term of recognizing that Jesus is this Messiah. She had revelation of something that literally the covenant people of God didn't know themselves. Son of David, have mercy on me! And she's outside yelling. Jesus is not responding. I think it's very intriguing that Jesus is letting her yell this thing in the neighborhood and people are hearing her say, Son of David, I know you're in there. Come out here, have mercy on me. And Jesus waits long enough until the disciples start to get a little bit perturbed. And the disciples have to come to Jesus and have to say, I know you're hearing her like the guy on the video. <laughs> I, I know you can hear her out there. Now, what are we going to do about this? Please, Jesus. And, and, and the way you read it in the message, it says, would you just please do something and get rid of her? 
I, I can't, can't. Do you ever feel like that at your job where, where you're, you're taking care of a difficult, you're running, you're the head of the complaint department and you're trying to keep everybody happy? The disciples are exhausted. I literally believe, I cannot prove this, and, and, and if you disagree, that's fine, it, because it's not something that's going to make a difference in your salvation. I believe, I truly believe Jesus was waiting to see if the disciples were going to do their ministry in the face of being exhausted and tired. If he was going, he was waiting to see if they would finally rise up and get enough frustration with the condition of this poor woman's situation that they would appeal to him in the spirit and the ministry of intercession and go, oh, Jesus, we know you can do something about this woman's situation. Will you please help this woman? I'm convinced that there are circumstances that Jesus is silent in the lives of people out here in our networks because he's waiting to see if we, his disciples, are going to do what we've been called to do. If we're going to do our ministry, if we're going to rise up and say, Jesus, I know you can help these people. Jesus, will you please do something about my brother who's struggling in this addiction? Jesus, will you please reach this homeless situation? Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Jesus was silent until they came and pointed it out. And I think he was just waiting to see if they were going to follow through and do their ministry, fulfill their mission, walk in their calling. It's one thing to talk about it. It's something else to actually step into it and do it. Jesus says, bring her on in the house. And that's when he looks at her and he hears her request. And he says, woman, I should first minister to the lost sheep of Israel. And it's not good that I should take the bread that belongs to the children and feed it to the dogs. That just, it just hits me the wrong way. I'm going, Jesus, what is up with this? What, what can you possibly mean by this? And I believe he was mirroring the very spirit of the covenant nation, the people of God that as a whole nation were supposed to be mediatorial to the nations of the world. I believe he was showing us, guys, you've taken on this attitude that everybody should serve you and I'm here to show you this. Get on my mark with me. I have come not to be served, but I have come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Get out of your little Goldilocks mentality of it's, this, is, this message is too long. This one is too short. He's preaching too hard. He's too light. He's too many Greek words. Or that worship was this or that worship was that. And so many Christians have a Goldilocks mentality. This porridge is too hot. This porridge is too cold. You didn't know I could preach the gospel through nursery rhymes, did you? There's a lot of powerful truth in there. Look at your neighbor and say, that'll preach. Number four, look at this. Every verse of Scripture in the whole Bible. Everybody said the whole Bible. I'm going to quote it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuking, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, perfect, equipped for every good work. Every verse of Scripture has an application in the life of the believer, but it must be interpreted through the covenantal lens. You have to put on a set of glasses and see that Scripture through the finished work of the cross of Christ, through His death, through His burial, through His resurrection. Now, on the other side of this verse of Scripture, when Jesus went to the cross, He leveled the playing field. There is no distinction between Jew or Greek, Gentile, bond or slave, Scythian, free, black or white, Male or female even. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, All of these things that were different, differentiated in the Old Covenant, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill them. Now the ground is level at the cross of Christ. Everyone must come and bow his knee in submission, in humility. Jesus literally says, you know what? And I'm going to say it this way. Go ahead and give me point number five. The only times that Jesus was ever impressed with great faith, it was with Gentile dogs. I want you to think about this. He's exasperated because of the hardness of the hearts of the covenant people and the fact that they've lost the idea of what it means to be a whole nation of priests that would serve the other nations. They've taken on themselves a kind of a serve me mentality. And Jesus is mirroring to them and through this woman, the only time he actually travels outside of the boundaries of where the covenant people live, again, this is not a coincidence. This is a deliberate thing. He knew this woman would be there having a need. And this woman is really quick-witted. She's got a quick tongue. And she's, she's filled with faith. Her response to Jesus is, you know what? Jesus, that may be so, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus responds, and he's literally in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, O woman of great faith. Did you know that every time Jesus responded about the faith of the Jewish people, it was always that there never was any. He was exasperated. He was struggling. He was going, I went to my own hometown and couldn't heal very many sick people because there was so much unbelief. The thing that amazed Jesus about his own people he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, sons of God, as it says in the King James. Over and over and over, he was frustrated to see that the covenant people weren't walking in faith. But he was fascinated and absolutely amazed. The two times that it says Jesus talked about great faith, they were both Gentiles. The Roman centurion where Jesus said, I've not found so great a faith in all of Israel. He's the guy who says... You don't even need to waste your time and come to my house. You just speak the word, Jesus, and my servant will get up. He'll be well. He'll be healed. He'll be made whole. And Jesus said, buddy, it's yours right now. Because what you've said, it is now yours. I have never seen such great faith in all of the covenant people of God. Every time Jesus was impressed with great faith, it was among Gentile dogs. It was among people that were the outcast of what the in crowd called dogs. You know what? We're sitting here this morning and there's a good deal of spiritual family in our congregation. We've been able to break down through some of the barriers that have been raised up in, in the Bible Belt South, particularly right here in Crittenden County. If I were to relate this to you in, in the way that you could actually understand how hard this hit this woman, it would be me like, like me using the N-word in the face of an African-American. It would be my, like me speaking a disparaging term to a Hispanic in such a way that it would just put them down. Anything that you can think of that would put down a people group, this is literally what this thing is carrying. And she has the opportunity to first get offended or she can respond with greater faith and she comes back with, that says, you know what, that, that may be so, but I want to tell you something, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table and Jesus is overwhelmed with it. This morning, I want to say to you, as I bring this little short teaching to a close, you have the ability now to no longer ever let anybody put you in any kind of a second class situation. You know what? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're now the seed of Abraham. You're a spiritual Jew. 
Don't let anybody tell you you're a Gentile dog. You know, that's who you used to be before you were injected with the DNA of God and you were born again. Because the old covenant was all based on a natural birth, but now the new covenant's based on a spiritual birth, being born again. Jesus can be just as impressed with a black brother or Hispanic sister or an Asian man or whatever we can talk about all over the world in the different varieties, the different hues of, of white people in Europe, the different shades of, of black people in Africa. All of those things the Bible says literally there is no distinction any longer, not black nor white, not slave nor free, not Jew nor Greek. Not Scythian, none of these things the Bible says, but now we are in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. Look at me right now, everybody. I want you to say this. I am blessed. I am the seed of Abraham. God's promises to Abraham are mine. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm going over and not under because I belong to Jesus. The promises of God to Abraham are yours. You can stop and get offended because somebody wants to relegate you to a second-class citizen position or you can let your faith rise above it. It's our choice. Every one of us in this room, it's our choice. Jesus is not a respecter of persons, but he is definitely a respecter of faith. And it doesn't matter what the package looks like that those words of faith are coming out of. They can be Syrophoenician. They can be Congan, they can be Thailand, they can be, they can be English, they can be Irish, they can be all of the nations of the world. As a matter of fact, God says that in the end this whole thing is going to be amazing tapestry where around His throne it will be out of every kindred nation, tribe and tongue, all lifting their voices and giving Him praise. None of them dogs, every one of them spiritual Jews made in the image of the one who created them. Come on somebody, put your hands together. Give the Lord praise. Number six. Dead religion can never hold back living faith. Say that with me. Dead religion can never hold back living faith. Do not let a religious observance of any kind crystallize in your thinking, become a tradition, and begin to rip from you the promises of God. God is who He is right now. He is who He's always been. And you know what? Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. What He did then, He will do again. What he did for them, he will do for you. Number seven, and I'm finished. The world is outside our door crying for freedom. Is Jesus being silent because he's waiting for his disciples to do their ministry? That's my challenge to you. Every one of you has a little card sitting in the seat that you're sitting in this morning. It's a little fresh start card that Alex did a fantastic job putting together and Heather printed for us. And you know what? It's, this is not a thing where we're challenging somebody to take two dozen of them or even five. I just want each one to reach one. Everybody say, each one. Reach one. I believe that there are people in your network that need to experience what Jesus Christ is doing in this place. In the gospel that is being preached, in His presence that's being manifest as we receive today like we shared His broken body and His shed blood. In, in the understanding of the gospel, as the simplicity of the gospel goes forth, I, I could not say it any better than Alex said just a few moments ago. The penalty of sin is death. Jesus died. Blood is the very essence of life. He poured His out for us and into us and shared His shed blood for us. This morning, every head bowed, every eye closed. 
I want to just take a moment as the lights come down, no one looking around. I just want to say to you, if you're in this place today and there's been a challenge to your identity in any kind of way, something that's been said that over which you could be offended, I just want to say to you this morning, let your faith rise up above that. Don't ever let anyone put you in a place of being a second-class citizen. You know what? I'm not so much talking about somebody in this room. I'm really talking about the accuser in your own mind. Someone who's sitting there today in between your own ears and telling you, no, you're too far gone. You don't have the faith for God to do for you what you're seeing Him do for these other people. Because that's the lying dog of the devil. His voice is speaking to you, telling you you're less than. And you know what? Just go ahead and agree with Him and just say, you know what? I'm not just less than. I'm nothing. But I'm going to reach out and take hold of Jesus and through Him I can become everything that He's called me to be. So today, if you're sitting in this place and you have never crossed the line of faith to say, Jesus, save me, come into my heart, and to know that you're His child, you're not an outsider, you're not an outcast, but you're beloved of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to say to you right now, it's, it's a free gift. Very simple to reach out and take hold of it and receive it. If you'd like to be included in this prayer, would you just slip up your hand? Is anybody in the room this morning? Yes, I see one in the back. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, I see that other hand. Those of you that lifted your hands, would you just pray with me right now? Make this your prayer in your heart. Father, take my life. Change me. I'm yours. I give you my life. Forgive my sin. Come into my heart. Save me. Jesus, save me. I trust you. That's the bottom line right there. Is you're transferring your trust from yourself to Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, save me. I trust you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today, I pray. In Jesus' name. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. I just want to say this to you that are Christians this morning, that are believers, you know Jesus Christ. Is there anything in this message today that you've heard that would be a potential challenge to say, you know what, I've probably been a little complacent. I've been in a place of just sort of sitting back and been relaxed. And even in the middle of my need for rest, I realize that I still have a ministry that Jesus calls me to and He will refresh me if I'll just step out and obey Him. I believe that God is silent sometimes in the people in your network and my network because He's waiting to see if we're going to do what we're called to do. Anybody in the room hear that today? Just take the challenge to say, Jesus, perk up my ears. I thank you. There's two or three hands going up around the room. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that you would awaken us, that you would challenge us, that you would let a fire burn in our hearts. Holy Spirit, let us become more aware of your presence even as we sang this morning. Lord, in this great time of worship, as we, as we walk out into areas on the ocean of our faith, when the, when, when the borders have to increase and we would be fearful, God, strengthen us and be with us, O Lord, and help us to cry out to you and do the ministry that you've called us to do. God, I thank you for that. Bless us on this Labor Day. Bless our jobs, bless our families, our homes. Lord, as we realize that we have entered into your rest, we no longer labor for our salvation because it's given to us as a gift. And we're careful to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. God's people said. Put your hands together.